Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You've got to give me a couple minutes of your time this morning. Amen. We have a few more things to deal with than normal. But Matthew chapter 6, verse number 6, when you get there. How many believe that Jesus is coming back? How many believe that he might be coming back in our lifetime yet? You know, something that, that you don't know. Maybe you don't know this. Some people don't. We had uh, people in the class, the Bible class, that didn't know where Genesis chapter 1 was. Not to laugh at them at all. That's what they're there for is to learn. People are on different, you know, levels. And so, there's, there's, by the way, I would like to take our Sundays and go deep with you all sometimes. But I also know there's a whole group of people that can't go there yet. So i got to find that middle ground. And you all have to do some digging yourself. But um, that's why we're doing this class. But uh, anyways, and so there's something called the rapture of the church. And uh, if you study that, 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 that out, it's a separate event from the second coming. Some believe there's going to be a rapture. Uh, some believe that, it, no, it'll be the second coming. Either way, we know Jesus is definitely returning to the earth. I'm not going to get into all the eschatology of that right now. But my point is that what's interesting, the reason why I'm bringing that up now is I've been thinking a lot about this. We are now entering into that season of atonement, a Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, where in fact it's called the, it's called the Feast of Trumpets. And it starts at sundown next Sunday night, so one week from tonight. And we know, according to Scripture and uh, biblical prophecy, that Jesus will return in this time frame. We don't know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows that. But we've been given the times and the seasons. We can understand the Bible. So those who can discern them, those who can know them. And most all biblical pro uh, prophetic people believe that Jesus will return during the Feast of Trumpets because the scripture says that Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And so it's very important you understand what the trump of God is. It represents the Feast of Trumpets, which happens starting, they'll blow the trumpet sundown on Sunday uh, this coming week. And so I got to thinking about that, and I said, honey, I know I've told the story before, I said, but man, it, it came back to me. When I was a kid, there was a movie in the 70s. Some of you might appreciate this. It was called A Thief in the Night. Everybody heard of The Thief of the Night? Scared me to death. Hallelujah. You know, when you're a kid not living for God, Jesus coming back is not on your agenda. Amen. And I mean, they had this one scene where this girl walks into the house and, and she had just heard about Jesus coming back at any moment, any time, in a blink of an eye and all this kind of stuff. And he is. And uh, she gets there and there's a... There's a uh, a, kettle, a kettle or something or a, a, a pan on the stove and it's, it's cooking and it's burning. So she's going through the house, mom, mom, mom. And she knew that there was a catching away that in a blink of an eye, people that know God are going to be leaving to be with him in the rapture and the rest will be staying on earth. And she couldn't find her mom and she freaks out and she starts screaming and crying and mom and somebody else from the back comes and they can calm her down and she's like, oh. The rapture didn't come without me. I'm glad I'm going to still have a chance to make the rapture. And they lead her to Jesus. Well, I saw that movie. I come home from school about, I don't know, maybe a month later. And I come in. My mom's not there. I'm calling for her. Mom, mom. All of a sudden, the, there's a teapot on the stove, and it starts whistling. Y'all, when that thing started whistling, <laughs> my soul leapt out of my body and came right back in. Oh, my God. I swear, I'm screaming, Mom, Mom, and oh my God, Jesus came and left me right there. And so I was trying to get right with Jesus as best I could in that, in that moment. So I say amen. So don't wait. You have opportunity today to make it right with Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse number 6. But you, 
Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Church, the secret place is your sacred place, meaning it's the place that is reserved for God and God alone. It's sacred to you to meet with God. The title of my message this morning is The Sacred Place. Lord, we love you, we honor you, and we praise you. Let now your word go forth freely with anointing and revelation to your people. In Jesus' name, the power to set them free. Everybody said amen. Amen. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 again. And um, I'm going to break this down for us this morning. I'm going to examine it. It says, but you, Jesus said, when you pray. So there's a certain amount of expectation that God has upon his people to not, he didn't say if you pray or get around to praying. He says, but you, when you pray, there is a, an expectation that God has for you to meet with him. He then says, when you pray, go into your room. A few weeks back, I preached a message called Make Room. If you remember that, we had the bed up here in the chair and the lamp and the, and the table. And we talked about the woman who made the room for the prophet to come and spend time with uh, her and her family and have a chance to be able to relax. Which essentially, making room, we preached about, was about you making room for God instead of making excuses in your life. We said make room for his house, make room for his word, make room for his presence, make room for his authority. Just making room for God and then our obedience to him. But back to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus goes on and says, and when you have shut your door, say shut your door. How many times have we gone to God and asked him to open a door for us, not understanding that there's a door he wants for us to close first? If you want God to move in your life, close the door on that ungodly relationship. If you want God to move in your life, close the door on lying to get your way. I'm preaching real good now. If you want God to move in your life, close the door to flirting with your coworker while you're married. Everybody say close the door. So if you want God to open a door, he first wants you to go into your room and shut your door. What's the door you need to shut for God to move? Let's continue. He says, pray to your father who is in the secret place. This is where his secret place is. It's where his, it's where his secret place becomes your sacred place. Let me say that again. It's where his secret place becomes your sacred place because the secret place, just the best way I can put it, is the realm of the spirit. It's in another world. It doesn't exist in this world without him. He sent his spirit here, of course, and so we have his spirit, but there's another dimension called the kingdom of God or the realm of his spirit, and this is how we get with God. So his secret place that the world can't find without Jesus Christ, amen, somebody, now that we know him becomes our sacred place, and we treat it as such. Lastly, Jesus says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In other words, God gives manifestation to those who pray, those who have reserved a place for him in their life. Make this statement. The secret place is the place of secrets. It's where God reveals his secrets to us, his people. Say it again. The secret place is the place of secrets. 
It's where God reveals his secrets to us. Here's the principle, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Whatever revelation you get from God has the potential of moving upon your children. You get a revelation, you teach your children those things, that we may do all the words of this law. So church, if God reveals to you by his stripes, you were healed, healing belongs to you. What was once a secret now has been re revealed to you, it now belongs to you. So I'm going to say amen. If God reveals to you that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, faith in him saves you, then guess what? Salvation belongs to you. If God reveals, give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, men shall give into your bosom, then prosperity belongs to you. What's been concealed, God reveals in the sacred place. If you don't spend time in the sacred place, which is God's secret place, revelation can't come to you on his secrets, therefore they can't belong to you. You don't need to be having someone else's revelation when you're in an hour of need. You need your own personal revelation from God. And I'm trying to teach it because I want to preach it, but I have so much time. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 14. Let's turn over there if we can, please. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. How many of you would agree that we need a move of God in this nation? How many agree we need a move of God right here in our city called Milwaukee? We can see God's way of how to get the moving of his spirit right here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, do we have his people here? Are you called by his name? If you'll humble yourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So we see God put a pattern together in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, that if we humble, we pray, we seek the face of God, he begins to heal our land. He begins to what? Respond to us. So we can safely say that the fire of the move of God's spirit is ignited and fanned in the sacred place, in the place of prayer. Without the prayer, we don't have the moving of God. It's not wishful, hopeful thinking one day God will do it unless God's people who are called by his name will get in the sacred place and bend their knee and say, God, what is it you need? What is it you want? We need to move in your spirit. We'll never see God move. Church, we are in dire need of a move of God. Our churches are filled with entertainment, but not expectation. Filled with activities, but not activation. Filled with a bunch of fellowship, but not the fire of God. We must get back to the simple faith that's necessary for a Holy Ghost revival and move of the Spirit in the house of God. And it starts with prayer. I said the faith that's necessary. You want to know the faith that's necessary? Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Look, it's time to boldly ask the Father for the fire of his glory to ignite his people once again. It's time to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness on earth and our nation and our city and around the world and in our homes. It's time to knock on the door of the move of God's spirit until our lost loved ones bend their knee and give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen? When we ask. 
when we seek, when we knock in the sacred place. I don't mind praying for you. I don't mind laying hands on you because that's scriptural. But I can't do all the praying for you and I can't do all the laying on hands for you. You gotta become the bold, radical child of God you were meant to be and you pray. You get on your face. You seek God. And you turn from your wicked ways. Shandai. Your sacred place is where your wisdom is found. It's where your strength is rewarded and renewed. It's where your heart is comforted. It's where your boldness is formed, your fire is forged, and your battle is won. Where? In the sacred place. Somebody shout yes. Yes. The sacred place is the place where we're given a mandate from heaven. It's where we're given a kingdom assignment to make our petitions known before the throne of God and to plead our cause at his mercy seat. The sacred place is where your time is inconsequential. Your agenda is completely dismantled and your schedules are abandoned. It's about what he wants when he wants it. Not me, what I want and when I want it. We got too many Christians praying selfish prayers that God is not obligated to answer. He knows what you have needed before you ask. It's not that you can't ask. But sometimes we're asking amiss. We're not in faith at all. We're in selfishness. And by the way, this is what the atonement season that we're about to enter into in this next seven days. It will last for 10 days after that. It's what it's all about. It's a reminder that God has set a time on his heavenly calendar to meet with his people where we abandon our schedules and our agendas for his. It's the 10 days of awe. Say it with me, the 10 days of awe. A-W-E, awe. Begins Rosh Hashanah, September 16th through Yom Kippur, September 25th. It's found right here in Joel chapter two. Just watch the screen. Blow the trumpet in Zion, feast the trumpets. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children in the nursing base. What's he doing? He's saying, I need you to get out of your agendas right now and come to me. Come to me. He said this, let the bridegroom go out of his chamber. He said, change your schedule. I know, now, now, this is hard. I'm not saying to do because we don't live in a law anymore. But he's saying, I don't care if you scheduled your marriage. So reschedule it. This is the time I want to meet with you. He said, in the bride from her dressing room, let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. Be glad then, you children of Zion, for he's given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. Watch this. He said, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Your first month, there are two times that God has in his calendar that he restarts the year. This is the second time of this year. So it all begins again. So the Jews will say happy new year to one another when Rosh Hashanah arrives. Why? Because it's God saying, I'm resetting you. God gives you two chances to reset the year within a year, within 12 months, every six months or so. 
And then it says, rejoice, Lord, your God, for he's giving the rain. He said, the latter rain, the first month, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat. There's going to be vats that overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the chewing locusts, crawling locusts, the consuming locusts. He said, my great army, which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I am in the midst of you. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars and smoke, a smoke rather. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you, Father, for your mercy mercy for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance as the Lord has said among the remnant whom he the Lord calls I want you to take those scriptures I've read past them fast I almost didn't want to do it because I knew it was going to take a while to do it but I want you to read them this week and give them your spirit because everything in there is what God's talking about right now in fact when Peter got up to preach this it was the time of the feast of the trumpets in other words when when I'm sorry it was not it was in fact that the time of the um, I'm getting that mixed up it was a time of um, Passover when he spoke that. When he's speaking on a feast schedule, at an appointment. In other words, God has a way that he wants to deliver his word in the earth at certain times and certain seasons. This is speaking of the atonement season in Joel chapter 2. The feast of trumpets. The, what we call the tabernacles. It's a feast day. Feast means an appointment with God. And according to Jewish tradition, there are heavenly books that will be opened and God inscribed each person's fate for the coming year into it on Rosh Hashanah, and he waits until Yom Kippur to seal the verdict. This takes place during the, the days of all. God's people will begin to amend their behavior and seek forgiveness for wrong done against God and against his fellow man. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are set aside for public and private petitions and confessions of guilt with the desire to be forgiven by God. This is that season. There are three things expected of God's people during this time. Number one, praying. We must get back to prayer. Where? In the sacred place. Two, repenting. Getting your life right with God. Making things right where? In the sacred place. Three, preparing a special offering of what God speaks to you to offer to him. Where? In the sacred place. That's where you're going to hear God's voice. That's what we need to be doing. God, what is it you want me to do? And then here's what God does as a response to us. He grants us seven blessings, all found in Joel chapter 2. And you can read it for yourself. It's all right there. Double portion, number one. He'll give us double portion. Two, financial blessing. Three, restoration. Four, miracles. Five, God's presence in a stronger dimension. Six, blessing upon the family. And seven, deliverance from everything that binds. In other words, God literally releases a move of his spirit in our lives through our obedience. It'll never change. It'll always be that way. It's not your way. It's God's way. Trust me, I know because I got to tell myself that every single day of my life because I like it my way. Just like most people do. But if I want a move of God in my life, I've got to do it God's way. And church, we need a move of God. I said we need a move of God. 
one that's enduring, one that is lasting. A move of God does not come to the distracted people. It does not come to the too busy of people. It doesn't come to the spiritual lazy people. It does not come to the self-absorbed people. A true move of God comes to the yielded. It comes to the supplicant. It comes to the obedient. It comes to those who on bended knee cry out on behalf of a world that's in desperate fallen state that's doomed to destruction and death without the intervention of a merciful God from heaven. I, I don't know about you, but that lights me up. Who is willing to get in the sacred place and cry out for God to move on behalf of your family or your friends or our city or our nation or our entire globe? Someone's got to be willing to cry out for righteousness in the land, to cry out for justice for those who have been wronged or mistreated, to cry out for mercy for the growing evil that we see coming in the world, to cry out for a bona fide, blood-bought revival and move of God's spirit in his house. Somebody say amen. The sacred place is found in two arenas. Number one, it's found in your personal time with God. He said, when you go into your room, that room could be anywhere. It's just a place that you have reserved for God. In that moment, you have my attention. But then the sacred place can also be found corporately. It's your corporate time with God's people in the house of God. Church, I want to, I want to get this in your spirit. The enemy certainly lied to us these last three years. He got people to get online and not really taking serious about getting back in God's house. Just where the devil wants you. Just where he wants you. Well, I love God. I know you love God. But when, there's a, when there is a need, when there is a battle, when there are things going in your life that you need help and you're a little bit over your head, let me just promise you this. God never meant for you to go it alone. The Bible says one can put 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. See how it becomes exponential and continues to jump? The Bible says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Everybody see unity? It is like the oil that flows upon the head and down the beard and onto the garment. Speaking of Aaron, the priestly robes and the priestly head of Aaron. In other words, the anointing oil or the power of God flows to the unified body. It flows to the brethren who come, sister and two, y'all, come together as one. Uh, the Bible says a three-fold cord is not easily broken. One strand, you can snap it. You double or triple that thing, it's going to get pretty strong. Where two or more, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in his name, I will be there in the midst of them. And whatever they ask the Father in my name, I will do it. The Bible says you are the light of the world. He said you take that light. He said you put it upon the hill. They'll all see it. He said now, watch this. Jesus said that. He said and they shall light a candle. How many people does it take to light a candle? One. But Jesus said they shall light. He said he didn't matter if you could get it done with one person. That's what I'm asking you. I want you to come together in unity. Everybody's going to light that candle. Everybody's going to march up that hill. And we're going to set that hill on blaze for the glory of God. Jesus never said, and you will storm the gates of hell 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail. He said, and my church, my people, my ecclesia that come together, they'll storm the gates of hell. And when they storm, the gates of hell will not prevail against them. The church is made up of you and me. We need each other. We need the church to be the sacred place. You'll have your private sacred place, but then this house needs to be the sacred place. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The church has to get back to being a house of prayer, not a house of hanging out. And you might be able to hang out. Not a house of, I'm here to scope out to see where the chicks are. I might be able to find one. Hallelujah. Or I'm trying to find myself a husband, snag me a, a, a good man. Now, you might be able to do all that, but that's not the purpose of the church. It's not a house of coffee cafe and sipping espresso, amen, and fellowship. And you can do that here too. It's not a house of great music and entertainment. And you're going to find great music here. And there's going to be some entertainment once in a while. Scrooge will entertain you. There's a message with it, but it will bring entertainment. We are called primarily to be a house of prayer. That's why I can't thank God enough for the people that show up here on Thursday once a month and get in. I mean, they get in, into the presence of God. And they dig deep and they pray. We need more, y'all. It's growing, thank God. It's a good group. Don't get me wrong. But we would like to see everybody, all of everybody that's not working. If you're not working, come on out. Amen. Somebody shout house of prayer. We must make the church our sacred place. I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to go over my time. You have a sacred place at your house or wherever you need to be with him personally, you need that. But the house of God must also be that. That's why we pray. That's why we believe in going before God. I don't give a message. I don't pray about, Lord, is this what you want to say? I'll get a yes or a no. I can't tell me how many messages I prepared for. God, I don't know. This is going to be good. And God said, nope, this is what I want you to preach. On Saturday morning, he'll change it. I've had God change it Sunday morning. Think about the pressure of that. And I got to put together and, okay, this is what you want to say. This, okay, God, I want to do what you want to do. Hopefully I've not missed the mark over the years. Maybe I have. But I've endeavored in prayer to hear God's voice. Aren't you God, glad you got to preach that praise? There's so many preachers. They're more about administration and how their building looks. And that's important. All this good stuff. But they're more about, they're more about running the organization than they are going before God. That's what the church has come down to. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're to be in a place before the Lord. And I'm telling you, we are in a moment in time where we're moving right into it. Yom Kippur, I'm Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur is coming up. And this is a great opportunity for us to be able to say, Lord, we want to set this time aside for you. We want to give, we want to honor, we want to pray, we want to make things right. This is a great opportunity for every one of our people. Somebody say amen to that. Stand with me if you would right where you're at. Just stand where you're at.